Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. For this week's episode, Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, talks to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, and Stephen Peters, Investment Specialist, about the latest in the world of investments, including some of the incredible turbulence within equity markets. She also discusses with Chris Stevenson and David McWatt from Smart Investor whether the high trading volumes that are often part and parcel of market volatility have an impact on your ability to trade. Hello, welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. We still seem to be living in uh, the interesting times as the Chinese curse allegedly goes. But anyway, we've got another fairly packed agenda and a veritable smorgasbord of experts to, to attack it with. So let's get straight to it. Will, what, what's been going on this week? Uh, Nikki, yes, it has been a, uh, a very cluttered week in terms of news flow. Um, at the core of the market debate right now is this kind of tug of war between good uh, incoming news on vaccines and then on the other side sort of much more worrying news on COVID-19 case counts in various parts of the world. There's a load of other stuff too, um, some better news on Brexit negotiations, you know, juxtaposed with lingering concerns in the US with regards to you know, the aftermath of the elections there, uh, and much more besides. Now, all of this is playing out in front of markets where some of the more extreme bets of the last uh, last uh, few months, even years, um, are starting to show some signs of cracking. Now, if it's interesting that, you know, we've talked about these uh, these kind of bets before. Now, as you know, there are many ways of um, dividing up the world's stock market. Uh, you can look at countries, uh, industry sectors, uh, subsectors. But another way uh, is to divide it up into something called styles. The most common uh, divisions here are value and growth. You will have heard us talk about those before. Uh, the companies that sit in these two camps uh, are not fixed necessarily. Uh, you know, they're, they're, some of them are interchangeable. Um, and how people define these styles can be a bit fluid too. However, year to date, so-called growth companies, as we measure them, have trounced so-called value companies by around 30%. This is not a new thing either. For the last five years, growth has beaten value by about 10% a year. That's massive. Now, this is a vastly complex story with all sorts of nerdy valuation and other caveats uh, to, to make. I, I, I will restrain myself, I promise. However, the vaccine news seems to have triggered um, this kind of elastic band to start tightening. Now, a lot of investors have been saying this week that a massive rotation is on the cards, you know, this explosive rotation, growth into value. I would point out the final point, I realize this is a long introduction, but we have been here before multiple times over the last few years. But the question people are asking is, is this time different? Are we finally going to see this uh, kind of huge trade play off? It's a brave person that calls a swing. I'm not that person. Yeah. I've got the splinters still. You know. <laughs> but Stephen, that value story, it's obviously you know, very much one that you're sort of cognizant of. You know, we talked about it last time you were on and, and it's great to have you have you back on. So as Will's saying there, the market chatter being could we be seeing more of a move back towards value? For for investors here in the UK, might that be a bit of a sign that UK equities might benefit finally, having, you know, been the been the laggards for a while now? Well, 
um, I think, as you both said, let's uh, let's just wait and see. It's too early to to call the end of this particular trade. People used to call the Japanese bond yield trade the widow maker and, and value and growth <laughs> across the world and particularly in the UK is probably the new version of that. Too many have been too many times we've been here before have we all heard you know it's the end of end of this trade. The last time this happened was very recent actually the final quarter of 2018 uh, value and uh, outperformed growth. So we've been here before it stopped on January the 1st and it didn't return. So uh, let's let's hold our horses just just for the time being. Right now there is value in uncertainty. People are, as will said people have wanted growth, people have wanted certainty and have been prepared to pay for it over the last 5 10 years. That may change with a vaccine. We will uh, we will see. The voice of reason there, Stephen. And and just you mentioned there about about the news of the vaccine. So I guess maybe for both of you, where, where do you think we are as far as the, the markets pricing in the potential for a vaccine somehow at some point unlocking the economy? Yeah, I mean, Stephen makes a great point there about sort of people suddenly putting a slightly different price on uncertainty. And I think that is the point here. But, you know, if you look sort of in terms of your question, I mean, the news from Moderna this week was was pretty positive. Uh, this is a, another of the vaccine front runners. So you saw, you know, jaw dropping efficacy, uh, similar to uh, similar to the Pfizer effort, OK, safety data. And that also with the vaccine that comes with far less in the way of distribution challenges uh, that are people people have talked about with the um, with the with the Pfizer vaccine. However, uh, the market reaction was in total a little bit kind of meh. Um, at the overall index level, anyway, there continued to be a bit of jostling under the surface. But the sense is, yes, you know, investors are now expecting uh, several very effective, uh, safe vaccines to be widely distributed over the course of 2021. I think it's really interesting what's going on in the UK since the end of the quarter, as well as in the last couple of weeks. I mean, since the end of September, banks and uh, oil producers are up about 20 percent. Um, that's obviously despite recent news about the UK going even greener than um, it was planning on doing. But what's interesting is over the same period, pharmaceutical companies, including you know potential makers of, of vaccines, are actually down. But the market is clearly expecting the vaccine to have uh, a good effect on uh, economic conditions. So uh, things that are up in the uh, healthcare sector over the same period are makers of colostomy bags and, uh, and private hospital operators. I think that's quite an interesting sign of not, not really buy the rumour and sell the fact, but, but maybe that you know, the vaccine is priced into certain shares for sure. And apart from the vaccine story, which is, of course, a huge one and one that we're, we're all, for many reasons, keeping our eyes and ears open around, are there other factors that you can see which might narrow that gap between the growth outperformance versus the value style investing? We knew the answer to that. It's interesting. I, mean, I think there are some parts of the world's capital markets that demonstrate you know, some what's called return predictability, i.e. you have a chance of you have a chance of tilting your investments to successfully take advantage of changes in direction uh, or kind of kinks. Um, however, styles uh, is not one of those areas. Uh, in spite of plenty of valiant efforts to find the thing that will tell us uh, where, when you know, when styles will change or you know when their popularity will wax and wane. Uh, so growth has outperformed value over years. You know, over the, particularly over this last economic cycle. And people have looked at what, you know, the macroeconomic factors or the sort of the, the context, the economic context that's come alongside that. And people have looked at dwindling inflation and inflation adjusted interest rates. So some have speculated that there is a relationship here. 
that if you see inflation and or real interest rates rise, uh, it could be time for value to outperform growth. And there is actually some intuition here to do with, you know, how uh, interest rates affect uh, the valuation of different parts of the stock market. I'm not going to get into the geeky bit, I promise. But, you know, however, this could just be spurious correlation. Uh, like, you know, we've talked before about the tight fit in per capita cheese consumption and deaths from bedsheet entanglements. You know, so we've just got to be wary. It, it, it's certainly plausible that this pandemic and the policy response we are seeing uh, could herald a change in the inflation in, in inflation and interest rate regime. It's just not worth betting on with all of your assets. Uh, have a foot in both camps. There's, there's, to me anyway, there's no need for the hero trade here. And I was just going to say that I think within the within the equity market looking just at the uk within the equity market will point is absolutely is absolutely right and no I'm not going to dispute that for a second but if you look at what's happening just of late it looks like mergers and acquisitions within uk market is is starting to pick up again um, but what's interesting is that that's coming from private equity investors it does seem that uh, despite their reputation private equity investors have a lot of dry powder money to invest and they're prepared to be longer term investors than perhaps you know traditional equity equity fund managers uh, can be just of late we've seen in the last couple of weeks we've seen U- two uk uh, house builders announce that they're going to be bought and the uk's um, oldest insurance company has announced an agreed uh, an agreed bid so i think that's really interesting and the the key point here is that private equity are not buying the big expensive glamorous growth names, they're buying things they think can improve that are, are good value that maybe, you know, plays on the UK economy, but ones that over the long term, they think they can make money in. So it sounds like we, we could be here for the, these, these slightly wild markets for a bit longer yet. Yeah, I mean, Stephen's point's really interesting. But yes, yeah, I, I, I do, you know, there are some pretty, and I think this is kind of what Stephen was alluding to there, there are some pretty extreme elements under the surface of capital markets and that could stoke volatility but i also just think we need to appreciate just how wild or weird uh, this year has been from a market's perspective you know our risk team put together some you know fascinating statistics on how our medium risk funds and portfolios have performed uh, for this crisis versus previous examples and basically looking at how long it took uh, to get to the bottom in terms of performance uh, in the bear market and how quickly you got back to the previous levels in terms of performance. So 2007-2009, the last big recession before this one, the drawdown took 16 months, the recovery period took 23 months, so a total of 39 months through the whole thing. 2000, uh, the TMT bubble, the drawdown took 30 months, the recovery period took 11 months, so you get 41 months in total. Uh, you can see my maths is, is first class here. Now, <laughs> 2020, the drawdown was one month, the recovery period was five months, making a total of six months. So, you know, it's just bizarre. Now, weird capital markets, you know, and that, that's obviously so far, uh, you know, clearly reflects that, you know, a weird, sad and, you know, many other words besides context in the real world. Um, but it, it's been quite something to, to watch all the same. So talking about wild markets, I'm now joined by two of the team who are responsible for providing some order amidst that market chaos. Chris Stevenson and David McWatt. Welcome, chaps. Thanks very much for joining us. And for the benefit of the listeners, perhaps you could just take it in turns to tell to tell us a little bit about the roles that you have and, and what you do for Smart Investor, the, the trading platform. 
Sure, Nikki. It's, uh, it's Chris here. I'll, I'll go first. So I'm head of platform transactions and customer reporting for the for the smart investor platform. It's quite a mouthful. Probably doesn't mean very much to people. So what is it that I, I actually do? So I look after the the digital and offline customer experience for customers when they want to do something transactional on our platform. So. If a customer wants to make a payment in and out of the platform, if they need to find an asset on the platform, when they subsequently want to trade in that asset, when they want to view their portfolio online, and then when we need to service those assets, so the likes of um, paying dividends or processing corporate actions, uh, I'm in charge of making sure that that customer experience, be it online or offline, is in order and, and is optimal. I also look after the standard reporting that we issue, so statements and valuations, contract notes and, and CTCs. And then lastly, I'm, I participate either driving or supporting change on the platform. So that covers new changes that we want to make. It covers improvements we want to make to things that perhaps don't work as well as they should do. And then I also look to ensure that the platform is compliant with all the, the regulatory change that, that we're subject to. Great. Sounds like you're a, you're a busy guy. And- From time to time, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and David? First off, Nikki, thanks for, for having me along. Um, my role is as the head of digital investment operations, so I work very closely with Chris, whereas he is responsible for the client experience. I'm, I'm responsible for the day-to-day operational processing of, of the core basics of our platform, so the, making sure our payments are processed timely and accurately, making sure our dividends and corporate actions uh, come across our clients in time, the quality of service we provide, uh, but also for the front end. So how we provide our service to our clients through our, our telephony agents, through our digital web chats, our technology performance of our platform. So essentially making day-to-day uh, the smart investor platform can do what we what we need it to do. Um, I'll also act as the sort of first responder to any indication of, of any slowdown in platform performance or anything that's potentially could impact our, our service to our clients and getting us ready for any, any peak volumes, which we've obviously had a a few of this year and um, so very much my my job is to make sure everything is, is working as it should uh, but then also to help Chris and work closer with Chris to look at where we can continue to improve that enhance. Super that that's that's very clear and and earlier as Will and Stephen were were alluding to it, it's been a remarkable year for so many reasons um, but but clearly we've seen market volatility like no other what are your reflections on how the smart investor platform has has performed over this year so far? Uh, Nikki, I'll, I'll I'll go first on that one. I'll, I'll I'll leave it to David to kind of comment on the, I guess the kind of technical and operational performance of the platform. But from my perspective, I mean, firstly, I'd agree it's been an exceptional and, and unique year. Uh, my reflections on the platform performance are are, are very positive, but the. the key thing for me in terms of market volatility when you when you run a platform is to be there for your customers and to make it easy for them to do business with you and I think particularly during the early part of the market volatility that was obviously triggered by the, the kind of COVID-19 period and the, the unusual working circumstances that we were all forced into by lockdown I, I think we did that I think we made it as easy as possible for our customers to do to do business with us and I, I took a lot of pride in that when I considered the people angle and From that perspective, I mean both colleagues and customers. So I was very, very impressed with the way all colleagues that support the platform adapted to the the new and unusual working conditions that we faced. I thought there was a real kind of galvanizing spirit and a a willingness to kind of step up in the face of adversity, which which I thought was was wonderful. 
but I also think um, in particular our colleagues in, in our virtual channels area, so that's the teams that take customer calls, many of them had to attend offices during the, the kind of initial period of the lockdown so that we could continue to service customers as, as key workers and I thought that was a fantastic effort. But I was also proud of customers. I think there was a real collegiate spirit that came through in all our customer interactions. There was a sense of, of us all being in that together. And I think our customers were patient and kind with us in their interactions. And I was quite humbled by that. So as well as the, the platform performing well technically and operationally, which which David will come to, I thought the, the people performance across colleagues and customers was uh, was something that was a real highlight. Yeah, so probably just uh, on the back of, of Chris's comments there, Nicky, um, as you said, 2020 has been a, a year of uncertainty for, for many reasons. There's probably three core focuses um, within our operations area that we look at and we touched upon at the start. It's the stability of the platform, adapting our processes to the new environment, and then enhancing the service delivery to our clients and, and looking at where those options to move to digital uh, as required when we moved into that sort of remote working model. So I touched upon it at the start, important factor for operations is to get the basics right. In this current climate, probably more than ever, clients are depending on, on getting income from us, dividends, interest, just to supplement their income. So a key focus for us is just to look at the timeliness of delivery of these payments. A number of banking and insurance stocks suspended uh, the dividends over this period, but actually in September we saw the highest volume of income we processed in a single month in our platform with over £40 million across our, our clients. Now we were able to allocate that 98% of that uh, on market payday, which is which is a brilliant result in, in the current climate. We make sure our clients are getting the money to our clients when they need it. Like many others, as Chris touched upon, we, we moved into a fully remote working model uh, in operations. The investment industries all have been uh, largely slow to adopt to a, a digital processes in many ways in operations. So moving from paper-based into digital processes was, was a key focus for us. Uh, there's obviously been a few items such as DocuSign and other key providers that have allowed us to move away from the classic wet ink signature um, to allow our processing to continue. But we also launched digitization of certain processes such as our AGM and proxy voting. So a process which was previously over the telephone and through our clients, we're now able to take those responses online. Uh, so again, it's been positive to see not only us retaining that stability, being able to deliver uh, timely to our clients, but then also to to enhance our processes and nudge us more into that digital uh, element, which is obviously our ultimate goal. And um, what actions have you seen us take in order to support customers when, when markets have been volatile, David? Yeah, so in the market volatility is, is probably the core thing is the availability of the platform, um, minimising downtime where we can and making sure that any performance issues are, are ironed out so that we give that sort of world-class service to our clients. So for periods of high volatility, we probably take a number of key steps. It ranges from pre-market checkpoints, collaboration between our, our technology teams, our operations teams, our contact centres, Chris's team. But then it's also real-time monitoring. We have a number of real-time monitors across our platform to look at not only the number of trades and website visits that we're seeing from our clients, but then also how quickly are they processing requests. So we look at, uh, for instance, the dealing speeds, how quickly are we processing our trades. We're, we're looking at that in, in milliseconds. And, and that's been a key focus in 2020 for us is to not just maintain that, but enhance it. And actually over the, the course of 2020, we've increased our, our processing time by around about 40%. So not only are we seeing record volume coming through in our platform, we're probably doing double the amount of trading volume that we've seen in the year prior in 2019. We're also doing it faster, um, which, which is a great, great result. Preparation is key in, in our area. So we, we're always looking down the, the roadmap of what are the key market activities, where's the big 
corporate actions or political events, such as the US election and Brexit, the things that we know could deliver market volatility, and ensuring that we have the right staffing levels, the right levers in place to to, to increase the platform capability, to, to handle any of those types of spikes, but we also have to have uh, all of the appropriate steps in place to, to react to the unknown. So the vaccine news that came in, for instance, uh, last week, um, obviously, and triggered a lot of market volatility and trading going on our platform. We know how to adapt to that intraday. Um, and that's all about making sure we have the collaboration and the right monitors in place to know that the platform is operating as it should. And if it isn't, intervene where it's prepared as necessary. And Chris, what, what enhancements have, have you made this year to the platform? What, what excites you the most about, about what's being delivered? So for me, Nick, I'll, I'll come back to that central theme for a platform business like ours, and that's making it easy for customers to do business with us. And there's, there's three things that I'd call out in that respect. The first one is actually a change that we made in late 2019 to the website navigation. So we, we decided to to simplify that and make it more intuitive. We we moved to a more traditional left to right top navigation bar on, on all the kind of central pages of the, the Smart Investor website. Um, we made a more prominent and visible search function kind of embedded within that navigation bar. And then we, we renamed the content and the labels and the language so that it was just very easy and intuitive to, to kind of understand and move around the website. And I mentioned that because I think that that relayed a, a very solid foundation for, for what customers then went on to do on the platform in, in 2020. This year, um, th- there was two changes that uh, excited me. One, one is relatively subtle and one is quite significant. I'll start with a subtle one first. So we introduced um, a predictive search function to, to our deal ticket. So previously, when you searched for an asset on a deal ticket, you, you effectively had to type out a full character string. So Vodafone, for example, V-O-D-A-F-O-N-E, and then hit search. The capability that we've now introduced, if you just type those first two or three characters, the, the website is is smart enough to recognize that, and then it presents a, a list of options for you to choose from. So it's called predictive search, and it might seem subtle, but I, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, in the spirit of, of making it easy for customers to do things on the website, saving that kind of five or ten seconds as part of your digital customer experience can actually be be really important and it it just feels like things are, are being made made easy for you and um, so that's a subtle change the, the significant one and the one that I, i'm most excited about i think our customers have been most excited about was introducing payments and trading capability to the smart investor functionality that's serviced through the barclays mobile app that, that was a real a real milestone for smart investor last year we'd introduced visibility of smart investor accounts to the barclays app so you were able to get an integrated view of all your barclays accounts and that then included your smart investor portfolio but since august of this year you've been able to to pay in cash via the app and most importantly trade via the app we, we know that there'd been a lot of pent-up demand from our customers for for that capability and I think it's significantly strengthened the the smart investor offering. I think the very the very principle of having expanded channel choice is a, is a kind of really important asset for us now. And I think a sign of the success is that we now see a quarter of our daily trades being placed through the Barclays app, and that's from as I say a standing start in August, which I think demonstrates how how popular that's been with customers. So yeah, the, the highlights for me have been simplification of navigation introducing predictive search and then uh, launching payments and trading on the, the Barclays mobile app with the, the last one there, I think, being a, a really big event from our perspective and something to be very excited about. That's great. Great to hear, guys. And th- thank you very much for, for sharing 
those those insights with us. Thank you also to Will and Stephen for for their insights, the value growth story uh, that we heard about earlier, and uh, to our listeners for taking the time. And we'll be back with you next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.